Hi everyone, welcome to the Dispatched Podcast Week in Review. My name is Paul Cross and I'm joined by Carol. Yes, you are. Hi, Paul. <laughs> Carol. <laughs> How's your week been? Um, yeah, it's been a week. It's been a week. It's been a week. You know, it's March next week. Uh, I yeah, don't know. yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Paul, uh, how's your week been? Uh, my my week's been good. I'm back into personal training, and uh, which is which is good. So I'm a bit sore, and I did uh, some boxing this morning. I I used to do boxing at school, as you as you facetiously said before. It's a very boys' school thing to do. How <laughs> very private. Uh, yeah, school, yeah, very, very very private boys' school. And you know, I used to get the absolute living hell beaten out of me. But anyway, this is a bit fairer this one. But uh, that's good. So let's get into this because I'm coming into this white hot today. Okay. Well, yeah. Where do we begin? <laughs> um, let's start with the treatment of the Centre for Community Driven Research. Uh, this is this should this is a scandal, and it should be treated as a scandal that the health department's approach to this organisation and the failings of the government to do anything about it, as in the Big G government. So, this is an organisation that for three years has delivered the Patient Pathways Program. This is almost thirty thousand services provided to around 3,000 families. It's telehealth nurse support. Uh, so mostly to families uh, with children with rare diseases. Yeah. It's an amazing service. It's cost the government <laughs> a rounding error. It's uh, several hundred thousand dollars a year, but it provides an invaluable service. And in fact, the evaluation which was conducted, external evaluation which was conducted of this service, found that it was very beneficial. Now, the Albanese government went to last year's election promising to expand this service, to fund it to the tune of almost $2.5 million over three years, which was great, but that, that election commitment has not been implemented. It was from 1 July last year, it was put into the budget process uh, for some reason. Obviously, the health department doesn't like it and they've done everything they can to undermine it. And unfortunately, I don't think Mark Butler's office know how to manage a recalcitrant health department. <laughs> Which is what what you get from uh, when health ministers don't have seasoned bureaucrats in their office. Uh, this is the, the reality we're in, and we've seen this not just with this organisation, but with others. Uh, this organisation has been bullied appallingly. So everyone knows I've written about it extensively this week, but I have all the correspondence. I've got the text messages. I've got everything from f- all the exchanges between government officials in this organisation. It's absolutely disgraceful. The the organisation rightly lodged a complaint against the conduct of these officials, <laughs> named the officials, and the health department, in its wisdom, decided that, well, yes, we know you've lodged a complaint against this official, but we've chosen, we've decided that this official won't be subject to this complaint. You have to continue to deal with them. And a deputy secretary in that department then then wrote to them and said, but, you know, if you feel distressed by this, why don't you just get someone else from your organisation to deal with the official? <laughs> It, it, it goes against the government's, the federal government's policy on bullying, and, and frankly, it just goes against common sense. It's just disgraceful the way Absolutely. the way that they have been treated, and the people involved should be ashamed of themselves. And they've consistently lied, lied, and gaslighted the the chief executive of this organisation. And the the logic, the logic, and the rationale, it's a bit like. I don't want to make light of it, but you almost have to. It's a bit like having an argument with someone who believes the earth is flat. It doesn't matter what you say, you can't convince them otherwise. They'll just come up with another ridiculous argument. 
And the fact that this organisation has been compelled to deal with the, the, peop- the people. Yeah. And just call Lifeline. Yeah, well, Australia's most senior bureaucrat wrote to the chief executive of this organisation and said, no, the health department's decided you still have to deal with this person. Uh, Acknowledge that it might have caused you distress and I apologise for that, so call Lifeline. <laughs> it's like a schoolyard time. It, like. is, it is just disgusting. And I would really – you know, Mark Butler's been minister for almost a year and I and many people are giving the government the benefit of the doubt. Every new government deserves the benefit of the doubt. But that is quickly wilting. Yeah. Because he has done nothing. He hasn't implemented his election commitment. and He didn't make many election commitments, to be honest. And most of them were pretty vaguely worded. This was explicit. He went to this organisation's annual conference and committed to do this as per their budget submission, $2.5 million over three years from July last year. He won all the kudos for that. It brought credit on him and the Labor Party amongst patient groups before the election, and he's completely let it down. He yeah. compl- Now, thankfully, the shadow minister is all over it. I would hope that Mark Butler takes the opportunity to reflect on what's happened here, and he needs to challenge the conduct of his officials. Yeah, it's just, Absolutely. you know, this government talks a good game about conduct. Well, let's, let's see that lived. The real shame of it is that this is a fantastic service that costs almost nothing. And they operate on a shoestring budget. Shoestring budget. And they do an amazing service for these families. Okay. Higher cost recovery fees for the TGA. Oh, this is unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) it It goes from the appalling to the hilarious. So the TGA has gone through a digital transformation and it has moved, relocated to a new building. I think it's near Canberra Airport. Now, in in that relocation, it was cost neutral to the TGA. That was the whole justification because obviously government departments don't really want to spend a lot of money on their buildings. But, But they had to get their laboratories built in this new building to the tune of well, I don't know what these laboratories are, but they've agreed to pay. The federal government has agreed to pay almost $5 million a year for 15 years, so almost $60 million to the landlord. i got to lease a building to the health department. Right. Honestly, it's like i got to build a building and get them to lease it. So these laboratories, I don't know what they're making in there, Teslas or rockets. I don't know what they're making in there. But $60 million over 15 years, almost $5 million a year, and they're going to charge 70% of that back to – uh, the industry. Oh, that seems fair. Under cost recovery. Now, it's just outrageous. And I think there needs to be some scrutiny of this because it obviously sets up a moral hazard when government departments know they can just pass the fee on to mm. someone else. So I just think there needs to be some scrutiny of this. These laboratories, I don't know, I've got to, I've got to get a look at these laboratories because at almost $5 million a year they've agreed to pay the landlord, which is just a ridiculous amount of money just because of the fit out for the laboratory and they've agreed to do it every year for 15, 15 years. 15 years. So as I say, choices, I am guys. I am now Come looking on. for a block of land to build a building which I'm hoping to lease to the health department <laughs> and the TGA because it's obviously it is just a ridiculous thing. And not only should the industry actually and really assertively oppose this, but it should be properly scrutinised, including by the parliament. This is a ridiculous amount of money that they've paid for this. And I think we've got a right to know how how it happens and uh, 
and what what they're doing in these laboratories. As I say, they've got to be making iPhones or Teslas or building rockets or something for five million a year. These for fifteen years, these must be absolutely unbelievable. I mean, literally, for $60 million, you could build a – I mean, what is there, tennis courts there or a swimming pool, <laughs> a driving ra- golf driving range or something? It's insane. It's, it's, it's completely crazy, and we need, to, we need to know more about this. <laughs> Maybe there's a wine cellar or something. I don't know. Has it got- I mean, it would have to be a pretty good wine cellar. must store. have some aged burgundies or something in there. Chateau Cheval Blancs. I mean, it is absolutely ridiculous amount of money. Okay. So moving, <laughs> moving right along. Yeah. Um, questions from you guys. What can patient groups or any organisations do – in response to treatment like that directed at the patient pathways organisation? It's a really good question. Uh, we got a lot of feedback about this issue during the week, a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails. I had a lot of messages on LinkedIn, of all things. You know my attitude to LinkedIn, <laughs> Carol. We, we, we had a lot of messages from people saying, well, this was my experience. This was my experience. I've, I've lived this myself. Lodge complaints. Yeah. You know, like any organisation, the Australian Public Service has a code of conduct and it requires pe- it requires officials to treat people with respect. Bullying is absolutely out of the question. The improper use of power is absolutely out of the question. The only way this will change is if organisations, including industry, large companies, lodge complaints, formal complaints. It shouldn't be up to patient groups to lodge complaints. It shouldn't be up to other organisations, small not-for-profits, to lodge complaints, but thankfully they do. I just think in reading what we've published this week, I think it would be recognisable <laughs> to a lot of people and it's just not acceptable. And people need to understand that this is not consistent with the federal bureaucracy. Generally, it's a very high standard of conduct, but for some reason there are certain areas in this particular agency who think it's okay to threaten, coerce and bully people. And doing it to patient groups is absolutely appalling and outrageous, but doing it to anyone yeah. is unacceptable. And as I said earlier, this government, the Albanese government, has talked a good game about expectations of conduct. Well, I would hope that they would live that. It is shocking that the, the most senior bureaucrat in Australia, Professor Glenn Davis, wrote to this organisation and said, you've got to continue to deal with the, the official. Yeah. Uh, and call Lifeline if it upsets you. Fuck it up. He can't have read that. I mean, it's no excuse, but something needs to change. And unfortunately, the only thing that's going to drive change in this area is complaints, people actioning these issues. We deserve a lot better. Okay. And how should the industry approach future negotiations with the government? This is a, uh <laughs> interesting question. You know, let's go back to the sort of the flat earth thing. A lot of people describe, think that I'm really negative and cynical. I'm not. There is a way forward on these negotiations, but you've got to get the detail right. You've got to get, got to get the starting point right. You've got to get the basics right, the basics. Understand when you're in a negotiation and when you're not in a negotiation. And I think we see this with the catch-up reductions now. In reality, whilst individual companies were active in fighting these reductions, which you know just five weeks away, in the second half of last year, the time to fight it was now, once the decision yeah. was made. I think the industry doesn't really understand the nature of negotiation. So what it tends to do is make concessions before it's even at the table. 
And we saw that with the current five-year agreements where it gave up all of this money, multi-billion dollars before it was even in the negotiation. And that, and that, that was a mistake. So I think the industry needs to get its starting point right, be pragmatic, understand the mindset of who they're negotiating with, and also appreciate that process is not always your friend. I mean, I, you know, someone said to me last year, well, Paul, you're so smart. Why don't you, you know, if you think we could have done better, what would you have done? And I said, well, given the current conduct and sort of behaviour you see in officials, I would have given them the money and asked for a blank sheet in return. <laughs> don't, don't speak to us or engage us in any process for five years because I think the status quo is about the best people can hope for at the moment. Now, these agreements have more than four years to go. No one seriously thinks it's a good deal for the industry or anyone. You know, people might pretend that publicly, but no one thinks they're a good deal. They're just an ongoing train wreck. And there are a lot of things that are yet to be revealed. And and I think the price disclosure (laughs) change is something that's lurking in the background. So I think get a bit of cynicism, get, get a bit of fierceness, understand that the people that you're negotiating with have a very different view of what is a good out, good outcome and they have a lot more power so it's 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 pretty straightforward hopefully you know, the next time this comes around and and the industry is not going to get through the next four years without more savings measures and new negotiations they'll definitely be brought back to the table at, at some point and the agreements allow for that so I would be preparing for that now and I and I also have to remind people that I think you have to expect that the HTA review, is going to deliver an outcome which you may not like. Yeah. And if that requires legislative change, you might find yourself in a position of opposing that. You've got to prepare for that. I think if you get your mindset right at the start, understanding what these processes deliver, forget about the hope and optimism. That that that's just that's the flat earth thing. You know, people will say, "Well, we're optimistic about the HTA. Well, why are you optimistic? Because we're optimistic." Yeah, but what makes you optimistic? Well, I'm optimistic. It's like, well, that's not an argument. So change a bit of that, get a bit more cynical and realistic about these processes and understand, better understand your inter- interlocutor. It's not what they say, it's what they do that really matters. Oh. <laughs> yes. Big week. I want to thank Kate Holiday. She's been incredibly courageous. I wish there were more people like her uh, because she's standing up for what's right and she's done it because she she thinks it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do for patients and I just think we all need to look up to her and acknowledge what a remarkable person she is not not to take it and she is still in there fighting every single day for this organisation and the patients that they they serve. I, I... admire her incredibly and I think a lot I think we all do and I would encourage people to reach out to Kate and acknowledge what she's been through and what she's still going through because it's just outrageous and it's it's not acceptable to anyone and I'll end on the note by just pleading with Mark Butler to do something about this thank you Carol thanks Paul 